check one two one two my check one two one two this is the time i play podcast with slim and benson welcome to it episode 20 i think yeah somewhere there well it was supposed to be a christmas special but we made it extra special because we decided to bring in the first lady guest on the podcast <laughs> ladies and gentlemen please welcome rumi hey guys how's it going yay thanks <laughs> for Hey, Ruby, thanks for coming. You drove about an hour to get here. Okay, that was a an long hour. day. Yeah, I live in Edinburgh. What? Yeah, and at the back of the back of the Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. So. I, thought, I thought I was far. But... <laughs> <laughs> She's far. Nah, I'm used to it, though, so it's all good, to be honest. It's fine. Well, it's a nice drive. It was, yeah. yeah. They took the back road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the back road is Which always... Um, Tonkin. Tonkin. No, not Tonkin. The one... Is it Roar? Roar Yeah, Roar Highway. Yeah, they said Roar Highway. That's, oh, that's always a nice ride. Yeah. See, that last time we met and then you said, Oh, you can come over. You thought it was like 10 minutes away. Right? That's what I thought. So when you sent your message and you were like, one day, I was like, oops, is that where he came from? From the meeting last time. I was like, yeah, he is. Well, but that's all right. That's fine. That's all good. Well, we're, we're extremely honored that you, you made the effort to come. Um... You have a very special story that our audience is going to be very um, fortunate to hear. It's not funny at all, but it's an important story. Yeah, that's true. That's very true. Now, I'm very glad to be sitting with you guys and talking about things like this. I feel like that's very important, and it's also something that we don't really get to talk about in our community. So yeah, especially the African community. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, okay, so I'm Rumbi, Rumbi Mzengi, um, so if you want to look me up on Instagram, that's my Instagram. Um, I've been living here in Australia for about 14 years, I'm originally from Zimbabwe, um, basically grew up here, um, those are the basics, what, what do you, it's kind of hard to know. Well, a little bit, so you, how long have you been here? So I've been here for 14 years. Four, 14 years? 14 years, yeah, 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 yeah right. pretty much, you know. <laughs> Much. How old was you came here like 10 or something? 12? No, I was 14. 14 when you came here, oh, yeah. Yeah. 14. yeah 14. So, like half life, half, half Africa, half Australia. Yeah, so I'm oh. literally African Australian. Yeah, yeah my like identity is very half. I'm right in the Yeah, right in the middle at the moment. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I think, to be honest, in a lot of ways, um, and unfortunately, I'm going to go to the typical one, which most of us would be talking about. Um, racially, I don't think it has changed. There's still a lot of things that when I was younger and I moved here, like something as simple as celebrating the 26th of January, which I'm heavily against. Um, that was a conversation from the time that I arrived, and it's still a conversation today. So it's crazy to see that from arriving here at 14 and knowing little things like that, and up until now, those things... Yeah, and you still find yourself. Yeah. You know, I'm almost getting out of my twenties, and that still hasn't changed. So that's that, yeah, it it hasn't changed in a lot of things. In other ways, yes, it has. But when it comes to things like that, it hasn't. So. Oh, that's crazy. What about like infrastructure? Did you come into Perth or you started Sydney? Melbourne no, or so we came into Canberra, the, the oh, West Coast capital. Oh. Yeah, it was very small. You know, not a lot of black people there. Not a lot of like Zimbabweans and whatever. It was very small community it was it was nice but it was quite small so infrastructure yes like even something as little as living in Edinburgh we've been in Edinburgh for five 
but it's just nothing. Yeah. yeah, I think that's one thing that I really love about Australia, even as a, as a person as well. Like, that always motivates me that it's never the same, like, it's constantly you go changing. away for two years, come back. Everything it's is different. different. Yeah. yeah, so I do like that. So definitely infrastructure, so many changes, so many different things happening. So, yeah. yeah. So now you've got a very interesting story. And um, we'll, we'll let you talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, um, I was going to yeah. say that um, this is the mental health episode. We promised we, we promised a couple of times in previous episodes that you know we're gonna yeah. bring in someone rather than just comment about it from the outside in. You know, saying no, this doesn't. You know, because in African culture, we don't we don't have those two words in one sentence to mean one thing. You're either mentally something, and then you're not healthy, or that. But to say mental health, we we don't put that in one yeah. one statement. We have no idea what that is, unless you're like bum naked on the street and you're eating from you know garbage heaps or something. Yeah, yeah. but yeah, every time you you, you you mention the word mental in an African context, it just reminds me. Yeah, that's what you think. Yeah, you're just eating garbage. Yeah, that's very true, and that's certainly like personally that's what I used to think as well. I think growing up, I didn't have anyone in my family that had mental health issues the same way that you know we understand it here now yeah. you know and the only representation of something mentally wrong with you that i knew was like street kids on the street yeah. eating from the bins yeah. you know it was never like or the being bewitched yeah exactly it was a successful person who goes mental and then it's like maybe the family put a spell on you yeah exactly and that was the only representation of mental health that i saw i never saw it as you know like the alcoholic um, uncles or the auntie who was always moody or the uncle who always cheated on his wife or any of those things i never saw mental health in those in spectrums those scenarios, yeah. no it was always just okay yeah those three kids yeah those ones are crazy and stuff like that but yeah um my own personal story unfortunately basically said it when i was quite young um not really something that I'd like to go into detail about this part of it anyway, but I do mention it just for um, context-wise. I was sexually abused when I was quite younger, um, and there were other scenarios where the same thing happened. And for whatever reason, my brain just never registered, or I never spoke up as well. So that's something that I grew up with, not it's having got an effect. Exactly, and that's the thing with our brains. Our brains do store information like that, and you can go for years without recognizing it, and yeah. then later on it gets triggered by different things, and then you go, hang on, why is this an issue? But there's always something to go back to. Yeah, um, so that was what my journey started as, and you know, growing up, I grew up in a very like normal family. My parents were great. You know, they were very wealthy, and you know, life was good. On the surface, life was amazing. But looking back now as an adult, I never really was a happy kid. And I think my unhappiness continued um, as I grew older. But I always took it as being shy, you know, which now I understand it definitely wasn't. Being shy, it's expressing some some emotions. Exactly. Yeah, and we don't know that because when you're younger, you're just thinking, because at the end of the day, once you go to therapy and read books and stuff like that, you realize that a lot of our personalities come from trying to protect ourselves from the trauma that we've experienced. But obviously, when you don't have that understanding or that knowledge available to you, you don't see it that way. So I just thought I was shy. I just thought I was awkward. I just thought I just wasn't like the kind of person that walks into a room and wants to talk to everyone. 
right? And I pretty much continued like that. And then obviously coming to Australia, being one of the few black girls and teens at school, that personality continues like that. So when I came to Australia, I went through almost like this period of just really not wanting to talk and not wanting to talk to anyone, not really wanting to make friends. I had a couple of friends who were black, but that was because we were all black. I don't remember. Yeah, it really was. And I don't remember making an effort to make friends with anyone outside that immediate circle of friends that that was available to me. And as time went on, that just became sort of my personality. I was just withdrawn. And even in my friendships, even in my relationships, I was that kind of person that could just decide one day just not talk to you. And that was just me. That was just my personality, you know. And I just thought that was who I was. So eventually, as time went by, that started bothering me, you know. And then also just through dating, you realize that there's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, you know? Your relationships don't last long. There's outbursts and all that. Yeah. And you, 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 you start thinking, like, maybe it's, uh, they're not the right people or yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. But behind that, it's basically, it's a guard that you're it putting. Is. You, you've, got a, you've, got a, you've got a barricade around your heart. Yeah. Your mind wants to meet someone, but the moment that person opens your point, your heart starts to open. Yeah, and that was me. And you find excuses. Yeah, anything. I was literally, that was me back and forth. And to me, I thought it was smart because obviously men are very tricky beings. nothing wrong with men. No man. Men are fine. No, 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 men are very tricky beings. Most of them. Yeah, and that's what I thought. I thought that was just my way of protecting. And it was working, you know. I didn't really go through any, like, tremendous heartbreaks for a very long time. I didn't really... I didn't go through a lot of the same experiences as other girls going through. Like, I didn't go through, like, the whole being cheated on, being treated badly, or anything like that. I was very much protected. And for me, so I thought this is working. Up until I got into a relationship... um, in 2016 and that was the first time that I actually thought okay I'm going to try and commit myself to this person you know I was 23 and already at that time we'd moved to Perth and I was starting to notice that there were certain things that were not okay about me but at the same time I didn't really have the language or the knowledge to explain what it was and so for me my way of fixing that because I grew up in a church um, I grew up in a church household in a yeah. Christian household, um, and my parents were always going to church. When we moved here, we stopped going to church for a while, and then we went back. But I wasn't very much into church. I just struggled when it came to God. I just never understood. Wait, wait just a second. Um, yes. When you say you struggled when it came to God, what do you mm-hmm. mean? Like the, the father figure of God? Mm-hmm. or It was the father figure. Was... Yeah, and it was also the concept of, you know, this God that knew, and I, I remember one time, yeah, you know, and protect you, protect and like, it's there for you, and I was like, but you were not. You didn't protect me, yeah. What, yeah. Yeah, what can, I know, for the most prominent people mm-hmm. ask me, if he's a loving God, why does he allow people? things to happen? Yeah. Uh, exactly, and I think that that's exactly what you say to a young person. My thing was, I always understood when things, because the other side of trauma is you grow up really quickly. Yes. So I understood when things happen to people, like older people, like when they get sick, when they go, I understood all that. What I could, couldn't understand and still struggle with up until today is why things happen at those particular ages. 
because there was nothing that I could have done to ask for that. And, you know, even in my teenage years, I never used to drink um, for a while. I think I started drinking a bit later than most people. Even with pubbing, I didn't really want to go pubbing. I was, if I was drinking, even around my friends, or if we went out, I would be that person that's like watching in their drinks, just in case I end up in a situation where someone does something to me or someone treats me badly. So for me, I really felt like I've been controlled, I've controlled myself, but I, I can understand how as an adult, you can, I don't believe that now, but then I used to think as an adult, you can fall for that behavior through how you dress, through how you talk, etc. But no, then as a child, yeah. yeah, but then as a child, I was like, how, what could you have done? So that's what I mean by I really struggled with God. Um, but then anyway, at that time, so this was now 2016, I then went through a phase where I thought, okay, maybe the way for me to fix this is for me to then just become everything that God wants me to be. I was going to a church that was um, very, very religious, almost cult like, but that's a conversation for another day. I've got two. You know, <laughs> church cults. I know Christo yes. loves those cults. <laughs> Definitely. You know, cause Last we, episode, we touched a bit about all these famous pastors and mm. what lens to look for, but that's topic for another day. That's a whole. That's a whole mental slavery that Africans just need to be, I don't know, rinsed from. Brainwashed. Yeah, it's very, a lot of brainwashing, and that was what that church is. And don't get me wrong, there are good, great parts of that church, and I do owe a lot of who I am to my entrepreneurial side to that church because they were really heavy on that. But at the same time, there were certain things that they conditioned you to do that made you feel like you were chasing after God and you were pleasing God. But really, in the end, I realized that it wasn't so much of pleasing God. It was just becoming a ship that's easier to do what they want you to do. So was this a Zimbabwean church? Yes, it was a Zimbabwean church. It's a very, very popular church. It was a Christian, yeah. Anyway, let's go. Yeah, we won't mention it. No names, no names. You heard Angel, but let's not go there. (laughs) No names. No names, no names. We're on a serious topic. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, you know, and, and I went through almost two years of like religion and you know like not drinking no boyfriend dressing like the way that they call appropriate and yeah you know and literally like there was a time when my mom sat me down and was like okay look I know I've been pushing you to go to church but I feel like this is too much (laughs) and you know when your own mother tells you that there must be something I was going to church all the time you know like I was doing the most and I do have to say at the same time it did open me up to certain experiences that were very spiritual that I could never take away. But at the same time, it really conditioned me. And what it did was, it just gave me something else to focus on other than my trauma. So Churches are filled up lost souls. Absolutely. And these clever leaders in those churches tapped into that mm-hmm. those weaknesses. Because, you know, people, we, we look for a sense of belonging yes. all the time. Absolutely. So, Church, the church is able to give that so they, they make you feel lost as a person and empty your pockets. Yeah, and they make you feel like they care about you as a whole, but I yeah. feel like a lot of churches really don't have any understanding of how to also cater and make space for people in their hurt. They yeah. want you to come in and quickly get fixed and then be what they want you to be, and they love you when you're like that. But when it takes a little longer, they're just not happy with that. So I went through that and... Um, you know, maybe about into two years into that, I started dating this other person. 
um, no, sorry, a year into that, started dating someone, and it was an okay relationship. I thought I was in love, etc. But then this was now the first time where I started getting all the treatment that was just bad. It was just not a healthy relationship. Um, but then because of where I was at that time in my life, and because I almost felt like at 23, I needed to now like figure it out, you know, just be with someone, get married at 25, have kids, like that's all I wait, said. Wait, just a second. So yes. you, your goal, one of your goals was to get married by 25? Yes. That was always a goal for me. I always wanted to get married young. Why I 25? Wanted, I don't know. I can't tell you where that came from. I, I don't know. It was just a thing that I really wanted. I wanted to have kids. I wanted to have, to have kids. I think because my mom had me when she was younger. Um, she was in her 20s. And I always liked that. So maybe that's why too. But yeah, that was always my goal. And um, got married to this person. At 25? At 20. Got engaged at 24. Was married a few months afterwards. Um, it was just a very toxic environment. And not too long after. Was, was this person Zimbabwean? Zimbabwean, yes. It was a Zimbabwean dude. Yes, it was a Zimbabwean dude. Yes, yes. Um, and not too long after the engagement and the marriage, he would did what he did and you know, cheated and stuff like that. And at that time, I just thought, you know, there's no way. But um, I guess, you know, when you're young, you're very impressionable. And when people do certain things for you or, you know, with you, you kind of think, oh, okay, I, I guess I can suck it up. You know, yeah. And also that whole thing that we have in our culture of every man cheats. You kind of think... Okay, at least he cheats and does A, B, C, and D. And I think at that time, that was my mentality. My mentality was okay, if he's getting everything else right and the cheating is the problem. Yeah, and I'm like, maybe I can control how often it happens or whatever, but you can't do that. You You can't do that. And I just thought he would change, but obviously, there's just certain things that don't change about people. And that's really where my mental issues started really showing up because I was really, really unhappy. And I just realized how the unhappier that I became, the more behavior I tolerated. And it was so bad to a point where I would be sitting there saying, I don't want to be with this person. Like, there's nothing here for me. And I'll just be like, ah, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Just, just push through. Um, Were there ex- external influences, like people you had to impress? Yeah, of course. So you, you, you kind of stuck in there a little longer because of the external social... Yeah. You know, yeah. you know that whole
at this point, you gotta stick through at least one relationship in your life, you know? My longest one before that was like my first relationship, and that was a year. And that never counts because we're literally breaking up every other day. It's not that serious. So I really was in a place where I just felt like you have to stick it through. Um, and in regards to pressure, it wasn't necessarily like people were saying it, but it was also the fact that I was going to a church where, you know, everybody at that time was in a relationship, getting married and etc. So I also felt like, yeah, and you look at people's relationships and you go, well, he does this, this and this. But they're still taking it. And you start to feel like, well, who the hell do I think I am? And also because of what I've been through, I didn't have a lot of self-worth or any self-confidence at all. The thing is, I, I, mm. I, I did um, an essay with that doing part mental health. The thing is, like, with your situation, right, because of what you went through mm. as a child, when you grow old or grow up, you tend to want to fix things. Yes. You, even, like, in relationships, as a child, it is your, your, your mentality, your motivation, your motivation fix it. Yeah. is because you have uh, they, they, one professor said, you know, uh, when people go through traumatic experiences or they go through emotional issues like mm-hmm. sexual abuse, mm-hmm. in the future they want, they don't want to fix everything in the future. I've ever had a, a, a experience where you go into another abusive relationship yeah. and you think, no, no, I can fix it. Mm-hmm. Subconsciously, I'm it, it comes out as, like, it, it presents itself to you as a challenge. Yes, and this yes, challenge, yes. I can work on yes, it. I'm yes. strong enough. I've got the, the audacity yes. to make this thing work. Because but then the, the more you failure, apply yourself, the worse it gets. Yeah. Failure, if that marriage fails, you think like it's you, you. It's you. Yeah. Yeah. And it takes you back to that point that I can never be. I'm not perfect. Yeah. Because of me, I'm not perfect. Absolutely. And also, we can't forget the fact that, you know, trauma attracts trauma. So if it you does. haven't healed yourself, chances are you're going to attract people that. That sort of comfort that yes. you know the fact that you I want never to feel yeah that relationship and that people. exactly and and, and, the, and the thing is uh, abusive people when when they abuse someone uh, they you 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 they leave uh, after they did the abuse mm-hmm. they they sort of ignore you yeah that ignore ignoring you makes you feel like what, what, I'm, I'm not you know I'm not, not worthy I'm yeah. not whatever so every time you go through that relationship when somebody does something you feel like oh it's me so yeah. there's always self blame self it's never about the other person yeah and it's never about because you feel like you don't have any control you feel like yeah. you, and, and I think the thing about it what I had to realize as well was it actually makes sense when you think about it from a psychology point of view and stuff like that when you haven't healed right and when you're still broken, the last thing that you want, the last thing that's going to make you comfortable is someone that loves you properly. Because someone that loves you properly requires you to be healed to love them back. When you know? you're not healed, you can't control yeah. it. Wait, so say, say that again. So the thing is, right, at the end of the day, if you're not healed, right, the last thing that's going to make you comfortable is someone who, who sorry, now I've Here's why I said you should repeat it. So what you're Let saying, say. I'll paraphrase it, yes, yes. is that, like earlier you had said, we are sort of addicted to this thing. Yes. So you, you, you don't want someone perfect. You no. can't deal with that. You're not no. familiar with perfection. Yeah. So 
what you want is someone broken because yes. that's something you can deal with. Yes. You relate to the brokenness. That's familiar to you. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It can keep you where yeah. you are. It can keep you where you are. It's comfortable. We are comfortable. They don't require nothing from you because he didn't require me to love him. He just required me to be there. Yeah. Because if he genuinely required me to love him, he would have had more respect for our relationship. Yeah. That's a given fact. When you're in a relationship with someone, they continue to treat you bad. They continue to cheating on you. It means that love really is not a transaction that's happening between the two of you. They don't need that from you. And that's why they can do those things to you. And for me, that's what I had to, I guess, in the end, when I started to walk away from the relationship, that's what I realized, that the only reason why you're here, the only reason why you're okay being in this relationship is that you're being starved of the thing that you needed the most. And you can keep on, it's nice to keep on asking from someone who's never going to give you. Because yeah. you get addicted to the idea yeah. of the emotions of asking yeah. and being disappointed yeah, the, the cycle. and coming back. That cycle is... is Doesn't really, that speak to the fact that that other person has that same thing as well? They lack true. that, they, so they, they're not ready to give it, they don't yeah. have it. Yeah. Yeah. For some strange reason, um, most people who've been through a traumatic experience somehow tend to meet, but they, some maybe he didn't face his, his demon. demon, but there's always that attraction, and you know, in that relationship, one person will be now inflicting their pain on the other one. Yeah. But but the thing though is, before you continue, Ruby, mm-hmm. the thing is, it's the addiction part of it. Yes. So you feel better, really. You yeah. feel better when you're abused, when mm-hmm. you're starved, when. Mm-hmm. When you don't have this thing, you actually feel better subconsciously. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, there's... Because, anyway, there, there's, right, because it protects you. Well, it's familiarity. So, yeah. yeah, it's looking at it from a completely different perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we all have... You know, like how whale sharks and the rest of them, even even uh, buffalo, have got those birds that take up things, right? Mm-hmm. Like, a, like a parasite. Like mm-hmm. a symbiotic relationship. Mm-hmm. The buffalo is happy to have the bird on it to peck on on the ticks and stuff, right? So if you were to look in a spiritual sense, we all have a parasite mm-hmm. that feeds on you. Mm-hmm. And, and and they feed on your, your anxiety, your fear, your insecurity and your lack. So that for that parasite to be well fed, it needs to coerce another parasite to come together. Absolutely. So just like herd mentality and like Africans come together in one area like Nolamara or something, it's, it's pretty much the same with these parasites. So yeah, I love that analogy. They come because together. Those yeah. birds on a buffalo. buffalo, they can't sit like a dog. The dog does not have no. actual ticks yeah. that they feed on. So they have to yes. Mm-hmm. Or, or, or the tick infestation. If they sit on a dog, it's five, six, seven ticks and it's done, right? Mm-hmm. So then the birds starve. They need a constant supply of ticks. On, on an animal that's constantly getting ticks, and then if the ticks are, they lay their eggs on the on the floor and corner where the hippos, where the, the buffaloes go. So it's a cycle. It's a it very is. vicious cycle. Yeah. And, and, that's, and it's what addictive. Happens. It's very, it's very addictive. Extremely addictive. It's extremely addictive. And that's why when you're in a toxic relationship, it literally feels like the best experience of mm-hmm. your life because it's those highs and lows, those constant, are they going to talk to me today? Okay, when they talk to me, okay, now. The worst thing to happen to an unhealed person is to be provided a space of safety and um, stability. You can't cope with that because that feels weird to you. And yes, for me, okay. it felt weird. It would have felt weird had someone came to me at that time who was actually very loving, very genuine. 
I would have been, I would have screwed it up. And I'm grateful because of you. Because I'm like, well, thank you. Because at least because of you, I got to realize how unhealed I was. And now when the right person comes through, I, I will definitely be healthy. You know, I'll definitely have healthy love, you know, idea, ideologies. And I'll be able to give that love back the way that I should. Whereas at that time, I would have never been able to. All right. Sorry for disturbing. No, that's okay. That was a um, so anyway, basically, um, you know, so this relationship lasted 2015 to 2018. So a whole two years. So my Happened. We got kicked out of the country. Um, there were things that came about, etc., etc. And he then ended up going back home. And once he went back home, I think that was the first time where all those little things that he used to do, like pick me up, you know, take me to my appointments, like buy me stuff, and all that. And it sounds very sad to say that, but unfortunately, sometimes those are the things that can really cloud you in a relationship because someone's constantly doing things to make you feel like they love you. So. When that's taken away, you're then left with that just that person. And that's what our relationship was. You know, and I can assume as well in 2020, where people couldn't see each other, if you're dating someone who's out of your country or, you know, in a different city, you would have probably had to deal with that. Where there's no there's no longer that thing of they can pick you up, they can make you laugh for two seconds because you've gone to a nice place. It was just us. And once it became us, it was just something completely different. He was very nasty, very um, controlling, calling like, and I'm not even exaggerating. My If my friends were here, they would tell you, he would call 50 times while I'm at work. And I'd be like, bruh, I'm literally at work. And he'll tell me, if you're at work, put yourself on video. And I'm like, you know for a fact, you've worked here for so long. You know for a fact, if I do that, I get called, I'm getting fired. You know? And when I didn't answer, he would then ring all my friends to check in. So... It became and someone who used to be so secure and so cool with me, you know, going on trips with my friends, all of a sudden needed me to be there 24-7. And that was the first time where I went, oh, okay. So if we lost everything that we had around us, this is what I would have to deal with. And when that happened, I was like, mm, okay, I don't know. But then now because we're far into deep, I had to keep on going. Um, and I tried to stay up until after our traditional wedding and then you know all this news came about about stuff that we had done um a baby mama and all that stuff and once that came out i was like yeah no that's my thing and i left yeah and i left and because do of my trauma think, do mm-hmm. you think that you went in just to leave I did. In, in hindsight i did i did that's something that i've had to realize in in um therapy that my approach to relationship has always been Right, I'm going to come in, I'm going to give everything to you from the get-go, and then I'm going to wait to see how you act, and I'm going to start taking things away. So that was always, either way, even if he had not done what he did, I was probably going to find a way to leave, because I never wanted to stay. That was never my setup or my mentality at that time. Yeah, my setup was, I'm going to get married. So really, at that time, it was also about finding whoever wanted to get married to me. You know, whoever proposed, okay, yeah, sure, we're going to do it. Because that was what I wanted at that time. We'll work through it. So even for me, I also had to realize that my requirement from him was never love. I never required that from him from the beginning. I just required certain things and certain things he did. And then when now I, I guess, mentally maybe I started changing. And because also I'm real deep on not getting cheated on, I don't need to suffer like that in my life. It's not a requirement for love. No, no requirement for 
relationships. Yeah. So, you know, it just, I guess, in the end, that was the big eye-opener. And because of my trauma, straight away from the breakup, I did what I'd always done every single year. I was um, every single other time that I had like, any issues or anything like that, I hid. I was like, okay, that happened. I'm going to block you. I'm not going to talk to you. I'm going to block you. Um, and I'm just not going to discuss this with anyone. I didn't really have this conversation with my family, with my friends. My friends knew not to bring up his name, not to talk about it. It was, I'm good, I'm fine, I'm perfect. I moved out out of home maybe a few months after that, um, out of my parents' house, moved out, went and lived by myself, and I never at any point dealt with that. And when I say never, like to a point where even crying, I could cry about other things. I could cry about other things. But about him, I'll just be like, nah, we're not doing that, you know? And I didn't really deal with it at all up until maybe six months into the next year. So this was now in 2018 when things started getting real, real. You know, now I was seriously depressed. I was overworking. I was doing... Um, let me ask a question. Yes, so yeah. what, what, what I'm hearing you say in the last couple of minutes was internalizing everything. Whilst you're internalizing it, you're also compartmentalizing. Yep. So you are segmenting your life experiences and the recollection of it. Mm-hmm. Like this stuff I can take, this stuff no. Yeah. The risk of doing that is that that's pretty heavy because you're just spending a lot of energy keeping this thing in a, you know, like because yeah. experiences and memories require a lot of energy to recall and to re- remember that the name. I know we do this every day. But remember where you live, your name, your gender, your education, you and where you are. I'm DJ Slim. I live this place. I've dated that. You know, all of that, to be honest, is that it takes a lot of energy. Mm-hmm. And then now, if you want to compartmentalize some of that stuff, that takes a lot more energy. It does. Because sometimes that stuff wants to come back. Like you said earlier, it's said to be a trigger. Yeah. That becomes something that you can't really predict because it's a trigger. Yeah. And then someone might be very nice to you and, you know... I'll give you a quick example. Someone has bought five roses mm-hmm. and they're just going around giving because they, to them, that's good for them. Like, yeah. I bought roses, give someone a rose. Let, let, I think, let's, we'll analyze. I like the five. Let, let, let's finish. Okay. First of all. <laughs> let's finish. That was a long question, by the way. <laughs> well, so, the, the compartmentalization of yeah. it. Yeah. I want, I want to uh, And it was. It yeah, was I want really, to finish. Yeah. Because now it's just getting the real part. Why? <laughs> So, yeah, so people can understand how it's easy to just uh, fall off the cliff. Yeah, and it feels good. It felt good. I felt like I had my life in order. You know, I was doing really well in my business. I was doing really well in work. I was making money at that time. That was a lot for my age and, like, you know, just where I was in my life. I was living in a gorgeous apartment. I really felt like it was one of those, yeah, okay, I went through that, but guess what? I'm good, you know? And the thing that comes with not being authentic and not allowing ourselves to experience life as it is, is you don't realize, but you also begin to isolate. You also begin to be very choosy about the people that you are with, the kind of relationships that you have with them. I was beginning to have a lot of surface-level relationships where we don't talk about nothing serious. Everything is just on the surface, you know, with my friendships and etc. And one of the biggest pointers for me was alcohol. Because I'd never been a big drinker before, and all of a sudden, I used to, you know, have two wines tonight just to be able to go to sleep, etc. And every time I'd get around, um, you know, people, and we would drink, I would always end up crying. 
right? But because the crying was coming from being drunk, it was like, ha, 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 my God, you were so drunk, you cried. You know what I mean? So you're not really dealing with things. And I went through that cycle for a very long time. And then from that now came also now the realization and like the, the, the little thing poking at me of you went through A, B, C, and D, and you need to start fixing it. So what I did was, because I'm quite intelligent, not a breath, I'm just saying, I, I do a lot of research. I'm that kind of person who needs to know things, and I, need, I need to know facts about things. So I was doing a lot of research. So all of a sudden, I had all this information of triggers, childhood trauma, etc., etc. But the thing was, there was information, but it was not aligned or not being used in my personal life. So you can know things. You can know triggers. You can know A, B, C, and D. But the difference is whether you're actually going to use those things in your everyday life. And that's what I wasn't doing. But so, you now you're like, yeah. This is not me. Yeah, I was yeah. yeah. And you know, I could I could open up and I think at that time I actually did open up to a few friends about, you know, some of the stuff that I'd gone through, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. But it wasn't in the essence of this is what I need to work on. It was just labeling things. Yeah. And that was it. And eventually what then happened was I started experiencing suicidal thoughts. And I didn't understand that. Because at this point I'd stopped going to church because so many different things had happened. And when those things that are coming up, I went straight away to, these are demons. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's because you're not praying. It's because you've left the church. That's why you oh. feel this way. So now I just sat on guilt, and I wasn't understanding where those feelings were coming from. Um, so now you get back to the, to the whole thing of speech. Yes. Now that it's me. now is your fault. Yeah. Now everything is my fault. Now everything is, see, I told you, if you made better decisions in your life, you would never be in this situation. You've done this, you've done this. So I was filled with so much self-worth and just really hating myself and not feeling good in my own skin, not feeling good in myself at all. And now I was isolating from, like, just in, in terms of everything. I was isolating from my parents. I detached. From everyone, from my parents, from just the people around me. You know, I was lucky at that time. I had a really good friend who just really, for whatever reason, we really bonded around that time. And they were able to be there for me and understand me. And I did have another friend as well who understood what was going on but didn't really know how to help as well. Mm. So when those suicidal thoughts started coming up, I started then self-harming. And that was when I went, oh, no, this is a, that, there's a problem here. And I remember it just started as nothing. One day I was just home, and this was such a horrible day for me. I hadn't worked because at that time my focus was on work, 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 make mm-hmm. money, you're going to be okay. That, that was always my go-to. Um, so I'm at home, I'm sitting, you know, I think I had, as the TV was off, I was just sitting, nothing going on, having a bit of wine, my two bottles of wine finished, and I just remember going to and saying to God, how dare you? And I remember this conversation so vividly. I remember saying to God, how dare you? Because when I was in church, I kept getting told, going to become a pastor, you're going to be a preacher, you're going to do this, you're going to do this. And there were certain things that happened where it was like, oh, I guess I can do this. Yeah. So anyway, in this moment, I'm so mad. I remember saying to God, how dare you? How dare you ask so much from me and you've never given me nothing? Everything that I've tried to do has been a struggle. Yeah, people getting married, their situations are less perfect. Why couldn't you just fix this for me? Like, what have I done wrong to you? And I remember... Yeah, and I was like, I've been good to you. Like, I've genuinely gone out of my way to try and be a so-called good Christian, good woman. Like, why am I? 
Do you know yeah. like uphold values, uphold all these morals and what for when you can't even return a simple favour that I'm asking from you? And I remember just snapping and literally like throwing my wine glass on the floor. I remember picking up like the two wines that I had, like the two wine bottles, smashing on the floor. I remember getting up and walking to my kitchen and everything that was on my counter, I just threw everything on the floor. And that was the first time where I went, oh snap, I'm not okay. There's actually something really wrong. And then I remember later on just frantically looking for a razor and then sitting down and literally like cutting. And this is, and I talk about this because I think it's very important for people to understand why people self-harm. Self-harming is unfortunately very therapeutic. And I'm not saying that to encourage it. I'm saying that to provide understanding. Unfortunately, when you can't understand where your pain is coming from, Seeing it in real life, whether that's through abuse, whether that's through over drinking, whether that's through cutting yourself or being around the same the wrong people, it feels good because finally you can see an example of your pain. So after that I went through maybe four or five days of seriously doing that. And I remember one day my friend called me for him and we're talking. And as we're talking on the phone, um, he then I don't know how I had my phone, but he then realized that there was blood on my on my couch, and he was like, um, what's that? And I'm just saying to him, oh, nothing, nothing, nothing. He's like, no, 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 I've seen that before, because he had just had a friend that had passed, um, passed away because of suicide that same year. And he was like, I've seen that before. I've told you before that you've got signs of depression, so I know what that is. And I remember he came over um, around four, and I was very grateful for that, and he showed that, and he was like, look, I'm giving you two options. You either call your parents tomorrow and tell them what's going on, or you go to the doctors, or I'm going to tell your parents. So I didn't think going to the doctors. Um, eventually went to the doctors and, you know, went into the doctor's office. The doctor gave me a psychologist to go see. I went to the psychologist. I spoke to the psychologist to ask her what was happening. I gave her a plethora of things that were happening. And she straight up said to me, you need help as soon as possible because you're really not in a good place. Oh, yeah, she was like, you're in deep. You just need help. Like, you need to see someone. You need to possibly go into hospital. When she said those words to me, I was like, there's no way. I'm black. I'm a strong woman. Strong black There's women. no way that I'm going to go to hospital. Shit in my life. Yeah. We, I was like, therapists this? Yeah, I was we, like, this is nothing. This is absolutely nothing. So, you know, I went through that process uh, maybe for two weeks of her, like, constantly calling, sending people over to my house. Like, I, you know, I was on suicidal watch for mm. two weeks. And then my birthday came through. And this is the part where, like, I want people to really listen into because Sometimes it's very hard to understand what people can be going through, but there's always signs. I've never been a big party person, but that year I threw a big party for my birthday. I had people that I just didn't even talk to, people that I didn't even know, people whose numbers I didn't even have. I invited all these people to my birthday. And I remember at some point I was high on that day. And at that time I never used to get high. That was probably the first time that, second time that I weed. And I smoked some weed and I was drinking a lot. And I was sitting on the couch. And I remember looking at everyone and people were having so much fun. You know how people are when they're drunk. Everyone's just having fun, doing the most. And I'm sitting there and I'm seeing how much people people were having fun, you know, while I was sitting and I was sad. And I remember going, screw it. That was the day that I decided, I was like, screw it, I'm going to do it. There's no point. Nobody in this room can even see that I'm going to do it. So really, at the end of the day, people are going to move on. People will be fine once you're After dead. this party's over, yeah. they'll go to their places. And yeah. I'm going to remain sad. Exactly. 
and no one will know. No one will, will, you know, people will be sad for a week or two, but after that, everyone goes back to their same life. And in as much as we don't like to admit that, that is the truth. We, we do know how to move on away from that. And it's never okay to make people feel guilty on the basis of, well, it's selfish. It's not selfish. It's actually very selfish to expect people who are continuously suffering to keep trying to make you feel comfortable because you don't want to go through grief. If someone was suffering from cancer, you wouldn't tell them just keep on holding on. You would tell them, it's okay, you can let go if you're ready. Suicidal ideation, depression, mental health issues, they're just as serious as those things. Um, Suicidal hydration? So, suicidal depression, oh, suicide, depression, any mental health issues, it's just as serious. They're as serious as cancer, any disease that you can think of. So, yeah. it's not foreign or it's not weird for people who are suffering from those things to no. want to end their lives. It's really not. It's simple. It's a, it's a, I'm not saying it's simple, like it's mm. in a nice form. Yeah. But every human being at some point has suffered a mental mm-hmm. breakdown or mental health issue. Be it stress, mm. depression. Some people think, oh, I'm just tired. Mm. Sometimes you're not really tired. You're stressed yeah. out. Yeah. Or there's some underlying depression part that's so yeah. it's it's extremely common, but the problem it is, is. we're taught to suppress all these emotions. Yeah, you know? and people suppress, and that's even a reason why people get to a point where they actually do something. Because a lot of the times, by the time that someone does something, it so, wasn't just yesterday when it no, came out. It's, it's probably been there for a very long time. And, and nobody, we don't read the signs. We don't, and we see all these people who drink a lot sometimes, and think, yeah. ah, that guy is the, the top drinker. You know, exactly what said, ah, Charlie Dilla. Yeah. Like, you don't know so and that was my case that no one really at that time and because i was always the strong person you know so the party always, I yeah i was always a nice person and etc i guess people didn't really expect that but literally the next day after my birthday i remember i just got up and i was like i'm done and i just went to the shop bought things came back sat in my house um and i literally just took everything that i had I remember sitting there and literally saying to God, I'm done with you. I've tried. I've done what I could have with what you've given me. And at this point, I don't feel guilty. I'm happy to go. Like, just let me be. Just let me go. Um, and obviously, unfortunately, that didn't happen. I was on... I was, oh, sorry. Unfortunately. Sorry, my bad. Um, you know, I was there waiting. And then my phone um, rang. It was my friend. And, you know, immediately she recognized my how low my voice was. So you went to shop to buy medicine, tablets and all that? Yeah, I googled. Because I, I'd been googling for like it's, three it's months. But if you can actually google yeah. the suicide method. Yeah, you actually can. You can actually google which ones. Because obviously there's some that are not available to you if you don't work in the medical field. Yes. So then you have to google what's the next best option. Yeah, which is unfortunately, it's said that we live in a world where you can access information like that. But yeah. at the same time, it's like what can you do? So, so you bought all these, yeah, tablets or whatever, whatever. Yeah, I did. I did. And your mission was with all of them. Yeah, my mission was I'm good to go, and I didn't call my parents, I didn't call any of my family members, anything like that. The only person I got on the phone with was my friend. She realized, and you know, I then hung up on her because I didn't tell her what was going on, and for whatever reason, she just not whatever reason. I guess that's the universe, right. that's God, whichever way we want to put it. She called my other friend who had come to my house before, and he then said to her, well, I wanted to talk to you 
about this, but I want to be sure because of privacy. Last time when I went to her house, this is what was happening. So I feel like we need to call the police. Um, they need to go see her. So meet everything, like the stuff starting to work and me starting to feel like, okay, maybe I might go anytime soon. There's a bang on my door. I opened my door. And also, like, five, yeah. Yeah. There was like five police officers. They get in and immediately one of the female ones realized that I was bleeding from this hand. And she immediately said, oh, yeah, she's touching. Um, then she straight away went into my bedroom, threw the, you know, the papers that were on the side. And then she said, yeah, she's taking something. She's so you her. Her Yeah. You, oh, not my wrist, but something. yeah. Oh, you touched it. Oh, yeah, right. it was just, um, you know, Shoot slices. slices. Right and then you yeah. took Then I took something.
there are millions, literally billions of people mm. who wish they could be in that position. You, you, mm. you have a job, you've got an apartment, you've got a business on the side, mm. like you've got multiple streams of income, you have yeah. some kind of social circle, yeah. but none of that satisfied the void. No, it didn't. Because Do, it, do it, we it, know what created that void? Well, I guess the, the, the trauma. Yeah, the trauma. Yeah, I guess the trauma was the build-up uh, of when, that void. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. From, from, from the first time that you had this money, you supported the children that are going to be that you know, money yeah. supported. It was supported with money, yeah. supported with alcohol, but all these things that you are trying to put in place. It doesn't work. And I think you always keep what you feel like you've got more control of. And for me, I always felt like the money aspect was the one thing that I was always going to have control of. So the drive for me was always, I may not be worthy to be loved, to be ACT, um, ETC, but I'm always going to be worthy to have lots of money. And because I'd grown it's not a bright song, I'm saying, because I'd grown up in money, I always felt like, okay, at least this is the one thing that I know for sure, because it's been given to me before, at least this is the one thing that I know for sure. So for me, having a job wasn't, a, a part of my success. I never saw that as being successful. What I wanted was my business. And that time, um, just to give you context because you're asking, at that time I'd worked for someone for three years. Um, and part of those three years, they stopped paying me for two years because they were struggling financially. And we had a deal where they were supposed to then pay me in a lump sum. And that lump sum was then meant to go towards me setting my makeup line. So this was back in 2017 when we had this deal. So when I broke up with this person, my comeback to myself was the makeup line. So now being in 2018, that person then just decided to be um, a crook. He said that they were not going to give me that money. And that was the one thing that I was holding on to as my saving yeah. armor. Yeah, you know? was way out. yeah, it was my way out of redeeming myself in front of people. It was my way out of, you know, taking away the bad stigma that I had. It was my way of just solidifying that, you know, I may not be Your able baby. to have everything else. This is the one thing that I'm going to have. So at that time, feeling like I was failing, and because I dropped out of uni twice, and my only thing that made me feel okay about that was business. So at that time, because that was, I felt like that wasn't working out, I now felt like a failure in that regard. I was working in aged care. So it wasn't even like some fancy corporate job where I was making 100K. I was making like 40K per year, which is still a lot at 20, that age. But still, to me, that wasn't like I'm successful. So now I felt like, okay, so you're a fraud. You're not successful in the real sense. Um, nobody loves you. You're not getting along with your parents because of what you've done. You've got nothing. So that's how I felt in the end. So usually that's the prioritization. Yes. So it's not necessarily it's not true. Yeah, it's but not then true. You have, you have the voice, and, and you see that the, the tricky bit with that is not only do you have the internal voice, you also have a confirmation bias. Yes. So you just start seeing only yes. the stuff that's fading yes. and falling apart. Yeah. And that's just constantly yeah. regurgitating what the voice is saying. Yeah, absolutely. And that's all I could see at that time. And even something as small as like, you know, during that period as well, I gained so, so much weight. So that was another thing. Where now I didn't feel confident in my skin. I didn't feel beautiful. Exactly. I didn't feel attractive. You know, so in, in every sense, in every way, I just did not like anything. Yeah, I felt like a failure. I just didn't like anything about myself. You know, I just didn't like, I just didn't like me. And so when I was in hospital, even though now I'd been told, like, this is a disease, it's not you, whatever, whatever, I was shutting every 
because I called the police station down. I didn't want anything to do with them. I didn't want pills. I didn't want nothing. I just wanted to die. So when I tried the second time and then it didn't work, I remember just sitting there going, this ain't it. And um, this is embarrassing to admit, but it is what it is. And I remember literally sneaking out of a hospital. You have to be very determined to sneak out of a hospital, not showered, with no shoes, to walk all the way into the city to buy pills, to come back. And, and I come back to, and try to do it in the yeah. hospital. No, yeah. so I did it outside the hospital. Because that's what I wanted to ask. Like, yeah. How did you get access? So the it's first it's one was stupid. Um, I don't know if it's appropriate to say it here, but... Um, oh, yeah. fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, yeah. We, we, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't no. worry. We, 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 the, not not yeah. that, but we've said worse stuff. Yeah, that's yeah. fine. Okay. <laughs> the first one was a bit silly. Like, in, you know, not to say whatever you try is silly, but I'm just saying, you know, it was a bit silly in hindsight. Um, I, I saw a couple of pledges that people had, so I took them, joined them up, and then I was looking for a place to hang myself in the bathrooms. There was none. So eventually, I decided that I was going to strangle myself, which doesn't work, because the more you strangle yourself, the more your body fights. So it's yeah. like, just doesn't work. And lucky enough, I was in a bathroom store, and um, I don't think anything would have happened, but anyway, lucky enough still, um, one of the people that walked in, um, I guess heard me struggling and immediately just pressed the buzzer because I guess they just knew I hadn't worked there and um, that was the thing. So they put me on, so they put me back into my room, etc. And um, they, I think they, they were, they were squatting or something like that. I then sneaked out, went out, bought pills, um, had some, and this time around it was a lot as well. So now by the time that I got in, and you had access yeah. to money still at that point. Yeah, because you have your card. Your card. Yeah. Because at that point, yeah. they, 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 they had you, like we're talking about YouTube, okay, they, had yeah. your, they should, have, should have had your suicide watch. Look, and the 24 hour surveillance. To be honest, Australia has a great healthcare system compared yes. to other countries, etc. And I've always been overly grateful for that. But having experienced what ED, what a mental health facility is like, I can understand why people can leave and go and die the next day because it's not it's not heavy and also because of where I was because they levels I suppose yeah. um, and they, they they care for you depending on which what you're like in. the flight the flight risk or exactly. the level. Yeah. yeah yeah so I guess because I've been brought in like you know awake well, and etc they kept it. me yeah and because I was constantly in my room the whole entire time the three days that I was in there I didn't speak to anyone I was in my room. I didn't get up, I didn't shower, I didn't eat, nothing. I was just in my room for three days straight. Yeah, yeah. So So if you were Jesus, you'd have died and you resurrected. I would have. In that three days, I'd have died and resurrected.
my friend visit me. And I said, no, I, I didn't want to. But surely the hostel should have known they're not the right state of mind. They should have. Well, there's and also the let's part bring where... somebody in. But this is the part where you're Yeah. You see, the thing is they've got, they've got, they've got, you see, a lot of this so stuff is like the, the checklist. Mm. They put a checklist. They're like, okay, has she done this? No. Has she yeah. done this? No. Has she done this? No. This is not that bad. Yeah. This see, is good. This as, is bad, good. as bad as the African context of other things is, certain points like that, that's where it's good. Because my grandmother have said, what is he saying? Going in. Anyway, my grandmother walked in there. Yeah. Told off the, you know. So uh, taking you back home. My, right? You won't yeah. give my grandmother a photo. When I'm yeah. mm. You just, just can't. But that, Yes. I have a question yeah. though. Yeah. So, um, like if you look at uh, academic psychology and stuff, mm-hmm. they say we've got multiple personalities and all that mm-hmm. stuff. Like, the more advanced stuff, they don't really come up and say you are a completely different person depending on who you're with. Mm-hmm. What? So, so multiple personalities? No. Was, did they, oh, no, so I they diagnosed you. Okay. Are they loved with the other because it would have been a different experience for me. Unfortunately, no, I'm not as cool as those people. Uh, no, but, right. but the slim here now is not the slim at home. It's not the slim That's at work. That's what I mean. I don't oh, mean yeah, you've got many people in here. All I mean is we have different behaviors depending on the external environment in which we're in. I yeah. always tell people that we, at the end of the day, we are all actors. When yeah. you, when you work, the moment that alarm rings, you're going to work, you're acting. Yeah, acting as a way. Society has done a 
bad job in trying to teach us the realness of, of life, everyday life situations. Yeah. Because in, as in, every time you, there's, there's always, especially in African continent, there's always an answer for every situation. Mm-hmm. There's always this whole thing like, oh, you're, you're a man, tough. Yeah. Or you're an African woman, black don't crack. Mm-hmm. All, all these analogies, all these whatever that are made to make us stronger than because of our history anyway, suffering mm-hmm. and all racism and all that. So has society done a bad job? It has. It absolutely has. One example, I was talking to my mom about this the other day, and I say, even the fact that we don't, um, it, it's 2020, we can understand how bullying can affect someone, we can understand how a loss of a parent, divorce, etc., etc. but none of us in terms of society have ever gotten to a point where we say, Having experienced racial issues, having experienced racial injustice, injustices, having experienced um, what's it called colonialism, colonialism. having experienced slavery, oh, that is something that will put trauma on people. We still yeah, don't yeah. want to acknowledge that. I'm glad you touched on colonialism because you know what? If you look at our parents, our parents were hard on everything, mm. which I try not to tell my children. Because one day I thought about it, that they went through to the intended struggle. Yeah, how could they not? Those people were, were, were traumatized. Yeah. Two up. Yeah. And when they came home, it was a military style of bringing up kids. And it's passed on through generations. Because yeah. home was the only thing that they could then control. Because you're always going to find something. You're always, and this is why when people say, oh, well, you know, trauma, um, you know, trauma doesn't stop you from succeeding in life. That's absolutely true because you're always going to find one thing that you're going to control or two things that you're going to control. So with our parents, like with our grandparents and stuff, when yeah. they came home from being abused by, by white settlers, etc., when they got home, you were what they could control. You, you were what they could now boss yeah. around. They now become the boss of the yes, house. They because they have no therapist. They yeah. have no one to go and sit down and be like, oh, I'm so nothing. sad. My, my master told yet. me this. No, there was nothing. So when they came home, you at your age, you were the one that now had to cope with that. And that is trauma. And then you pass that on to your kids. Now, and, and then in that context, mm. you also now, for example, maybe as a boy, when I have a girl, I'm now, like in my father mode, just trying to force yes. everyone down. Yeah. It's it's a lot of ex- traumatic experience yeah. that would never really yeah. start down and test, you know? It really is. It's such a harsh and it's um, cycle. a lot of abusive people, yeah. a lot of hurt individuals. I will, I will plug something here at this point because I have a question. But before I get to the question, one of the methods that helped with that is age regression. I remember we yes, talked about it sometimes. Yeah. Yes. Where at the same time, we, it's still your responsibility for you to deal with your own self because that trauma is yours. Trauma mm-hmm. is actually yours. Mm-hmm. And it's your experience. And you can have external you know, psychologists and all that stuff come and talk to you. But as you put it, at the end of the day, it's you that goes to bed. Mm-hmm. It's you that's with you alone with your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You need to deal with that. And of the many right. methods, one of them is age regression, where you, you take some time out, and then you go to the younger slim, and you speak to that younger slim yourself. I think the problem with when, that... When, when, sorry. And when you don't, when you reach like the state where you reach, when you go home, you're not going to 
trying to go back. Well, you, well, yeah, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. So, exactly. So you, and I think that's the so problem. So if you don't know about age regression, then, then yeah, we, you don't know. We, 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 I wish most of the schools, yeah, because that's what, last time remember we talked about the education system. Oh, yeah. They just teach us the same bullshit. They don't teach us real life situations. It needs to change. And for me, I owe most of my, not really up to my decision making situations in my life to my grandfather, who was a watchtower. And I know most people think, oh, Watchtower, blah, blah, blah. But this dude had a Correction, different... he was the Jehovah's Witness. All right, he was a Jehovah's Witness. Well, the watch... Yes, thank you very much, by the way. So he had a different perspective from the way normal people go. And he used to tell me, listen, Slip, most important thing about your life, you need to have a serious deciding factor. Yes. Everything you do is a decision, and it will come back to you, or it won't come back to you. I owe most of my... When my remember, in fact... We spend 90% of our lives at school when you're a kid. Mm-hmm. We don't get to be taught shit. No. Yeah. As in, even the time, I, 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 the time when you had your first uh, traumatic experience, mm-hmm. there was no way you could have gone and told There was the no teacher. way. And imagine if at school they, they taught had about program. concern. I would yes. have gone, oh, wait, that's not what happened. That's I need to talk to someone. But then because we don't, we don't even... Teach, when we do sexual education, it's like the, the stupid no, stuff. They the teach about protection. Yeah, and they it's like that's not the problem. The approach and yeah, the concern, all of that, they don't. And that's why I always say, like, when I talk to parents and stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, you might still be in the mentality of if I talk to my child about sex, I'm giving them about pleasure, but no, that's not even your biggest worry. If that's what your child ends up doing, good for but you. You need to tell them. You, you know, need to be talking about consent, because then the problem is, when I start talking about this, the amount of people that we like to meet, including women that have three, four no. kids, women that have been married, going to meet, oh my God, that happened. Oh my God, that happened. And it's like then now, also, th- there's so much to this topic to unpack, honestly. Like, it's, okay, so let's well, be direct. Let's yes, be direct. Right. <laughs> was that a relative? That, was that a close person? Yes. Relative? Yeah. yeah I, right. but, but you see, the thing is that these stories, I have researched these stories, by the way, mm. It's always someone close to you that yeah. you trust enough to be yeah. in a private, in that circumstance. Yeah. It's yeah. never a complete, well, it is sometimes, but it's really a complete stranger really from nowhere. It's usually, usually your usually, uncle, yeah, someone really close, cousins, someone in proximity. The person who lives close to you. Neighbors, family, friends. Because yeah. I, I, mm. the, the reason why I'm going like into deep, mm. I don't mean to pressure you because I'm currently dealing with this type of situation. There's a a young girl in my family, very close to me, one of my nieces, recently came out. She's um, doing well back home. She's a musician. I won't mention the name. But, you know, she's she's got it out there. It's on YouTube. So she recently came out and said she was abused as well. Somewhere around 16 years old. And she said it's a close family member. Mm -hmm. So she's she's very fond of me. Because when she was starting a music career, I was probably the only person who was encouraging. I was like, hey, yeah. do it, do it. And she told me, I'm going you know what? That was my only escape out of all the things that I was going through. So she's, she's very fond of me. I was still encouraged me to do this. But she said, you know what? You can sing, whatever, whatever. So she told me, when she said the close relationship, I, I, I sent her, I said, you know what? Because I was like, we need to know this human being. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. we can't have this person going around, probably abusing kids again. Yeah. And oh, they definitely. But, but wait, that. you know, the lady and gentleman in this podcast, mm. it's endemic 
Yeah, it is a thing, but this is not like who was it? Was it no, not related? No, no. It's what it's, what I'm, but that yeah, needs but to be done to right to past it. Yeah, but no, that what I'm getting to, to uh, yeah. this is the last part. What I'm getting to is she refused. She's still protecting this person. Let me tell you on that, that one. That's the first I've thing. done the same thing. Up until today, as much as I would love to shout on top of the hills and etc., I won't do it. You that's, know that's, why? That's, that's why because I want to find out there's so why. many stages of unpacking that experience that there's some things that you know that if they were then to happen, you mm. wouldn't be able to do it. Have you ever talked to this person and yeah. told them yeah. that yeah. you There was one me. person that I, I, I confronted because the other person, I don't know where they went, I don't know yeah. where they are in their lives. There was one person that I directly um, confronted because there was a time where obviously because we've moved here and they're there. Yeah. There was a time where they started sending me obviously being on a group thing. Group and I, I've chat. always left group messages on certain family mem- on certain family side. And I remember what time they then confronted me and they're basically like, Oh, like you know, so what, these days you think just because you went to Australia, you're too good to be in family groups. And I remember just, and that was around the time where I went, oh, this is what this is. And I remember saying to them, how dare you expect me to talk to you, respond to you, and all these things. Do you not remember what you did at this age? And they blatantly said to me, what? I don't know what you're talking about. And because they're now a Christian, they're like, Uh, may the Lord uh, help you, heal you, save you, I'm blessed over here. That's that's one type that's always... Bothered me is because these people are still around and like all these chat groups. And for me, because I asked my niece, this person she's like is very close, and I'm like, you know, this could be maybe a person I live with or whatever, or just. And I said, and you see this person all the time. You have like, to understand that your you... niece has had to do Christmases, that's, that's probably been at that person's wedding. So by this point. It's a lot to then have to name who they are I, I and have to unpack all of that because you might be understanding of that. That person probably has a wife or a husband, whichever it is. Oh my god! So now, exactly if, if she, she then comes in she and says, "This is who I am," Muslim, he's got kids. Yeah. Who about my age and all that? So imagine the amount of things that amount no, of things and that. If I knew I was going to pick, you can still do that in another way. Yeah, but okay, but, but wait, let's, let's, let's reset and refocus yeah. this conversation. Yeah, let's refocus. Because um, uh, what we'll I'm going to do part two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll just part one. It's more like introduction. What we'll, we'll do is second part is now where we'll go into like treatment. Yeah. And so yeah. this now will be like. So we've we hit number back. three, the yeah. third attempt. Yeah. I believe from the third attempt, things started happening, going up. Yeah. All right. So let's let's talk about that trajectory now. Now, yeah. out of the door drops, we've, well, up until now we've talked about all the negative stuff, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Which is real. Mm-hmm. So let's let's take it up. Let's take it up to the positive. So after the third attempt, secret, you you dis, you reached a point where you decided that this is not the thing that I really wanted to do yeah. in the first place. Yeah. I want to do something better. So yeah. I was running one day. So obviously by this time, like you know, um, a few of my friends have come in. My dad has come in. I've actually done one psychology session, etc. And the psychologist really gave me this analogy, and I'll be quick with it um, because of time. So she said to me, because I was refusing to open up, I was refusing to talk, I didn't even want to talk about what I'd been through, but obviously she had been told that by the doctor. And she then finally said to me, Do you have a car? Nothing is 
woman crazy, like what does it have to do with anything? I'm like, yeah, I do. She's like, okay, tell me some of the few things you do to maintain your car. And I was like, well, fuel it, take it to the da da da. She's like, if your car, um, if something dies in your engine or whatever, what would you do with your car? And I said to her, I'll take it to the mechanic, they will sort it out. She's like, okay, why wouldn't you fix it? I'm like, well, because I don't know how to fix it. I don't know anything about cars. She's like, okay, good. She's like, so how many times, like, if your car, like, if your tire um, was flat or whatever, would you continue to drive your car with the flat tire? And I was like, duh, no. She's like, okay, I know that was a car, but that put yourself in the position of the car. You don't have a manual to be a human being. You don't know how to fix a human being. There are people that are in jobs that can help you to do that when things go wrong. So coming to the hospital, talking to your psychologist, uh, you know, getting healing, getting any help, it's like changing your car oil, it's like changing your tire, it's like taking your car to maintenance. That's how she put it to me. And all of a sudden, my shame around it, my guilt around it, my personalizing, my healing and me as if it was my fault to be in a position where I needed to heal, because that's what I thought. I thought it was my fault to be in a position where something's happened and I now had to heal from it. So I was very embarrassed. So from that conversation, I went, oh, okay. I went back into my room and I was writing. And she said to me, I want you to start off by writing a letter to you. Don't try to make it anything. Just write as you go. And I remember in this letter, and I still have this, I remember finally saying, I don't want you to die. Because genuinely, I do love you, Rundi, but I'm tired of being in pain, right? So once I wrote all of that, I then went, because I'm actually a fixer, I'm actually a problem solver. I then went, okay, so if the issue is not room B, let's separate room B from the pain. Let's separate room B from the issue. If room B is not the issue, let's leave her over here. Let's take the issues. Let's, let's look at what the issues are. Let's find out what they are, how to fix them. And to be honest, that's where my mind shifted. That's where my journey to healing began. And that's what I did. From then, I was reading books. I've been to therapy. I've done a lot of work. Obviously, it's not done. I don't believe in anything like that. But when you, if you could have seen me in 2018 and had a conversation with me then and then seen who I am now, mm. it's a drastic, a drastic, a drastic difference. I mean, 2018 is not too long ago. I know it's not. It's really yeah. not. It's for, for you coming from a place where you, 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 you shut yourself, you shut down everyone in your room and come and talk like you're talking right now. I think it speaks a lot about how far you've come. Yeah. And what I've loved about it is we don't get this from all... You listen on, 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 on all these therapy sessions, blah, blah, blah. They, they always talk nice. They always, mm-hmm. you know, sugarcoat the whole experience. But mm-hmm. the way you, you know... I've, I've described it this raw. Yeah. Raw. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's just coming out raw. Yeah. That's the only way that I wish to be. You know, I started talking about my experience. So I was in, I ended up being in hospital for three months, by the way. Three so, months. yeah, so it was September, November, December, then I came out. So around this time, actually, 18th of December, 28th. Oh, wow. Yeah, tomorrow. That's when I'm going to be leaving the hospital. Really? So tomorrow's... No, no, no. So not 28th, 18th. And December? Yeah, 18th of December. December. That's when I was leaving the hospital. Because I remember I did have Christmas at home. But cheers to that. Thank you. Cheers to that. But yeah, eighteenth of December, two thousand and eighteen was when I left hospital after spending three years, um, three months in hospital. And I remember when I came out, like I just, I just had this. It wasn't easy. Like I was still very ashamed and etc. But I remember one day just saying to myself, 
I'm tired. I want to share this. I want to talk about this. And I did. And I expected people to laugh. I expected people obviously. Some people didn't. But I didn't care about all that. But the majority, what really changed my perception, what really changed my purpose, my focus, what realigned me was the amount of people that sent me messages saying mm. me too. That's what hurt me the most. That's what changed my whole trajectory of where I wanted to go with my life, what I wanted to do, because I went, I can't be so selfish with what I've gone through to keep it quiet and remain with it when there's millions of people that are going through the same thing, millions of people that have experienced the same thing or similar thing, and that's what began my journey to talking about it. And for me, at that time, my thing was, I wasn't so confident in my ability to heal myself, but I was confident in my ability to facilitate healing for other people. Okay, so speaking about that, mm. um, I, will, I will preempt the follow-up yes. by saying this. Um, in my coaching sessions, mm-hmm. right, we normally talk about the fact that you have a voice. Mm-hmm. Okay, When you discover your voice, which mm-hmm. is what you've done, clearly, mm-hmm. you then realize that your voice has an audience. Yeah. Right? Every voice is an audience. Absolutely. And some of, this, is, this is what a lot of people don't like to accept, but it's real. Yeah. You go through certain things in life to a certain point of bearing with it mm-hmm. so that you discover your voice Absolutely. and then you're able then to speak to your audience. Yeah. Okay, cool. So now let's, let's, let's shift gears a little bit here mm-hmm. and let's talk about what you're doing now. Yeah, yeah. So um, I, have, I have you on here on my phone. <laughs> and um, I did a, for, for, for the sake of the podcast, for the listeners out there, I did a, a simple Google search. Of Rumbi Muzeki, which I've done a million times. But anyway, um, there's something that struck me here, which is really good. It says, um, so this is your LinkedIn page. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. So on your about section, it says, just a girl following the great words of a dear friend who doesn't know it yet. Brene Brown is my friend. I, I'm speaking that into existence. Mm, so, so related. Brene yeah. Brown? Brene so Brown this, these are the words of, of oh, Brene yeah, Brown. She, it says, you either walk inside your story yeah. and own it, or you stand outside your story and hustle for your worthiness. Absolutely. Absolutely. Could, you, could you explain that? Our stories are so, so powerful for allowing us to be the best, authentic version of our lives. Um, and also allowing us to experience the love that we deserve, the, 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 um, the, the happiness that we deserve. And I didn't understand that when I spoke about the whole God thing, I was, even with that, I was loving God in the essence of hide everything that I've been through, perfect me, and then just, like, put me up that way, you know? Um, in terms of my hustling, it was the same way. I wanted the money. I wanted the businesses. Not because I wanted to do something just great with my life, but because I thought if I had all that, no one would look into everything else that was behind. With my friendships, I was the same way. I kept my friendships at a very surface level and I was in and out of my friendships, just like that. Because I never wanted anyone to get to experience the real me, to get to know what I really think, what I, my opinions, who I really am. The same thing in my relationships, the same thing in my everyday interaction. I was constantly hiding who I was. And when I read that book by Brene Brown, when I started going through therapy, when I started going through a process of, let me just speak, and it literally took one word at a time, one sentence at a time, sentence at a time, being accepted for me to go, hang on, there's actually a world where Rumi can be herself 
speak the mind, show up as me, the broken, the funny, the all that, whatever it is that that is me, and I can show up, and I can still be accepted, I can still be loved, I can still hold my space, I can still be worthy of the space that I hold, and that's why I love that quote so much because you can't begin to speak of being in love and oh my god I'm so loved until that person loves you for all the parts of who you are. You can't begin to think of my friends love me until your friends love all the parts of who you are. And that's the problem with hiding. What I realized was in 2018, when I came out, 2019, I lost my job and I said to myself, I don't want to go back to work for a few months. I'm going to take time off. My parents were graceful enough to invite me back into their house. I went back home. So I had the luxury of doing that. I know not everybody has that. So I was very privileged on that. But I said I didn't want to work for six months. And I said what I wanted to do instead was I just wanted to give myself. I wanted to get to know me. I felt desperate to know who I was without the pain. I wanted to know who Rumi was without the frame of my pain, of my abuse, of my unworthiness, and etc. And I started doing different things. I've done so many different things that people always Wait, like, wait, wait. Yeah, sorry. Right, I'm rushing so, through it. No, no. No, no, yeah. no, 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 no. Okay, so you have, you have the version of you that you're done with. And you want to now explore another version of you, mm-hmm. right? And I'm not done with her. I, I like what I, you know how you were talking about age regression? Because yeah. there's several ways that you can do that, obviously. And for me, it wasn't, it was also sitting down with the young Rumi at certain parts. Because you're not always going to be able to connect to every single part. Yeah. But yeah. I had to realize all the things that were amazing about young yeah. Rumi. And for me, the thing that really stood out was the, the way she viewed the world, the things that she wanted to do, the way she wanted to help people, the way that she yeah. wanted to create all these um, solutions around certain problems. So what I did in 2019 was I said, okay, Rundi, the young you, I'm going to give you, I'm going to try however I can to reconnect us, to get us on the same page. Yeah, yeah. I can't stop what happened, but I can make I can make sense of it and make it somehow not okay, but bring some, I don't know, just make sense add, of add it. Add some positive energy. So yeah. a, lot of, a lot of the time what causes um, that parasite mm-hmm. to overtake your own thoughts mm-hmm. is the amount of, see, it's an energy game. Mm-hmm. If you put too much energy to the negative side, yeah, negative shit happens, saying. right? Yeah. If you, like what you're trying to say here is you decided to channel your energy to the positive side of Rumi and I say, did. look, Let's go back. So what's the positive thing? Yeah. So for the sake of the podcast, could you tell us what positive stuff you're doing? Because some of the stuff yeah. you've done is amazing. <laughs> Thank you. I mean, um, you've been on national television. You, Thank you. Yeah. You're touch, touch on them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Which is awesome. Awesome. Okay. Then we'll do part two. And yes. I think part two will basically be about now your about business. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. Yeah. Um, some of the really cool things that I've been able to do um, is just obviously speak about my experiences, my journey as a woman. Um, you know, going through what I went through and being able to positively impact people. I've been able to do that with my Instagram. That was one of my biggest things that I said I wanted to do. I wanted to make sure anytime that anyone looks at my Instagram, they can see the reality of life. They can see what childhood trauma looks like. But at the same time, they can see what a young person who is really trying to make right of their life looks like. And I feel like that's the vibe that I give off of my Instagram. I've been able to speak um, different um, events and stuff like that. I've been able to host workshops. I've been able to speak to um, host um, platforms where we created conversations. 
just like what the amazing way that you guys are doing here, we've been able to do that. I've also been able to create, I was lucky enough to be able to create a business around that. One of my main things was I wanted to touch on how childhood trauma affects you in a business way. Because a lot of the times we don't think about that, but it does. We just think of it in relationships. Yeah, we just think of it in relationships, but then in business, it actually stops you. It can stop you from actually shining the way that you're supposed to shine and stop doing the best. Money. Yeah, stop your money, and nobody wants that. So I also created um, an event called Keeping Dream um, Networking, and what we do is instead of just talking about the good parts of business, etc., we also touch on the personal stuff okay. and that could hinder you in business. So that's one that I've been able to do. I've been able to create um, um, a mentoring platform for young black girls because that's what I'm really passionate about. Obviously, I care about all women, all people, etc., but I'm concentrated on young black girls. So we've been able to create a mentoring program called Beauty That Empowers, and I do that through teaching beauty um, stuff, but we also talk about software, we talk about self-care, because like we were saying before, these conversations need to be happening when these girls are young, or when these boys are young as well. Um, So there's a lot that I've been able to do, to be honest, but that's pretty much the gist of it. Um, And also just recently, there's stuff that I think is going to be able to empower everything else that we're doing, is me creating a makeup line for black women. Because I feel like that's also part of the trauma that we have to experience every you, single day. You, you put up a face. Yeah, we put up a face. So <laughs> I wanted to create that. Comes back to again. Face yourself. Yeah. Time to hey, you know, slim. You cannot say anything in a man. Don't say <laughs> like you put your face. Your face. Yeah, the women will come for you. It's Ladies, come for you. It's about time we join the conversation. That's all I'm trying to do. For oh, Anaka Glam. Oh, let's, let's say it in actual words. So there's Anaka Glam, there's Anaka Co. There's Anaka Glam, there's Anaka Co. And there's also Seep and Dream. So Seep and Dream is the business. Um, yeah. That's where we do the mentoring, um, the networking stuff. And I also help, um, you know, multicultural women start businesses. So we've got a workshop that we run every single year. Um, and we go into multicultural organizations and we run that with them as um, a consultant or partners. Um, and then with Anaka and Co., that's where we do all beauty and wellness workshops. So we do the makeup workshop just to build on that confidence yeah. and also just to remind women, like, you're not wearing makeup because you left. You're wearing makeup the same way that you wear clothes because you want to, like, feel better. Um, and we also then do the wellness workshops. And then another glam is the makeup, the makeup line. So, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's, that's me at the moment. But I guess the thing that I'm really passionate about is just sharing my story and probably that's the, the, the bigger thing that I really keen on. I, I want to share my story with more people. I want to be able to people, get... People need to. People need to, yeah, because I think it's important. You don't often get to actually listen from someone who's experienced it, yeah. and I think sometimes as well, people, and that's something that a lot of people told me not to do because I spoke when I was still in it. Yeah. People want to speak when they're out of it, and that's fine. That's okay. But Nobody can detect that, but I think there's a difference when you now speak and you're now a millionaire, life is all crazy. Now have a husband or a wife, and you know, all life is good. I'm talking from experience of somebody who's still in it. Still because, in it, still going. Yeah, it. I would have loved to see that. You know, so that's me. That's 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 pretty much me. Well, uh, been a <laughs> heavy one. If time sometimes worst thing would have gone the whole day, but anyway, what we'll do is we'll come back part two. We'll yeah. go down deeper into. Where you are right now in terms of business and all that, and also put some links 
this the links and everything when, when we post this on uh, Facebook and all that we post the podcast. But we just like to thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. For coming here and being comfortable with us dudes, like this yeah. and all. Stay man, you can't talk about makeup. <laughs> and sharing your story because yeah. it's I've learned so much in like oh, an hour and a half that I've been learned my whole existence on this. Oh, thank you. Yeah. It's really an eye-opener, and uh, there's a lot to unpack there. And I hope people out there really, really embrace this story, the way me and Trasco already embraced. And Trasco told me, Steve, we need to do this at all costs. Yeah. yeah. So the concept was like, no, don't worry, Steve, if you can't make it, I'll call you. Yeah. Something just told me, do it. Yeah. Get up, get up, go there. I, you know, need to go there. He could drop some 40 minutes to get oh, there. Wow. Yeah. What do you say? I'm going to down. Woo. I said, oh, you know what? Head is getting too big. It just needs to be divided at this point. Well, it's just being spread <laughs> it's out. It's just being spread out. out. You know, they need to cut it enough. Yeah. But that's, that's testament to how important this particular topic yes. is. Because Absolutely. both Slim and Rumbi have literally come from a while of driving. Mm-hmm. And, and and these are people who are driving on a freeway. It's not like they're yeah. driving on a 60 zone. <laughs> they're driving at 100 and it still took that long. Still took that long. And, and I am particularly... Um, Happy and blessed and honored that both of you made it to this studio, yeah, <laughs> which is yeah. not sleep this, this, normal. Yes, yeah, this is part. This is the second part of the Sound Party Studios. But I mean, it's we go wherever the story is, and uh, yeah, obviously we had to come here, which is really good as well. So it's been a, a thing out of most of the podcasts that we've done. Yeah, out of all of them, yeah. this is just different. Thank different. you. I think it's really good that you guys do this. I think more men really need to take the lead on this conversation, especially on consent, especially on that. Yeah, exactly. That's where men need to be learning about what consent looks like. Because yeah. I understand that not every man was taught and maybe not every man makes the right decision, but that wrong decision has a lifetime of consequences. Do you think, okay, so this is the last <laughs> one, then we'll go. Do you think it's appropriate for me, for example, mm-hmm. if I met a woman mm-hmm. and then ask I think it is, and I think that would probably, obviously it depends on how it's done. I think that conversation will honestly, yeah. I, we'll talk about this next time. But yeah. something that a lot of women talk about is just not even being being free to be sexually open intimate, out. Yeah, or being able to the person they, they want to yeah. spend the rest of the life. Yeah, and you guys don't understand that because you like your sex. Why can't you do this? But a lot of women, the reason why they have you know marital issues around sexual is also because they've yeah, experienced that. So you can't expect someone who's gone through something like that without having to go through healing to just then be free. So I think that it, it, it really would make a difference. I don't know, I'm not married, but I genuinely believe it would make a big difference in how we relate to each other as men or women if men were more forward about having those because then that helps you to understand your person that you're with. Yeah. You know, if they're not happy to always yeah. Sex, or yeah, because you, you just want to have sex every night. Yeah. You don't know your partner might yeah. not be feeling that. Because yeah. most people think there's no concept in, in yeah. marriage. That's there happening. is concept in marriage. The amount of times you know I go to parties and stuff like that, and women are like, "Oh yeah, no, if you want some, there's no headache." Now, like, and it's such a nice. You play bear a lot of stuff. I can also yeah. lay bear something. Yeah. It's a give and take relationship. Yeah, it is. I was abused by cousins. Mm. Like my first sexual experience was actually from a, a lady, lady cousin, and it wasn't 
Yeah, we'll put the links up on uh, yes. Facebook when we drop the, the, the episode yes. and all that. Thank you very much. No, thank, okay. you thank you very much. And this also thank great. you, Carston, for, for, you know, for providing the outside broadcasting uh, scenario. <laughs> Facility. <laughs> Facility. <laughs> all right. This is where we say bye. Everyone goes through trying times Joy comes in the morning Even when it seems hard to find He gives us peace for you and me